0: everybody it's Les McEwan here welcome back to scale with predictable success where we get to talk with leaders who have succeeded in truly helping either their own organization or others to scale and today i'm delighted to be speaking with Kerry Newhoff who's not just uh, become a friend over the years as a colleague Kerry and I have shared platforms all over the united states Uh, he's been a client of mine he's challenged me he's developed my leadership skills Kerry, you and I have done just about everything that's legal for two people in our business to do together. And it's just a delight to have you on the podcast. Welcome.
1: Hey, thanks for answering that tweet. I think I sent you a direct (laughs) message or even an at. Uh, What was that? Six, seven years ago?
0: At least it might have been eight. It might have
1: been eight years ago. And thank you for getting back to me. And unless it's been a joy and a privilege and i've learned so much and talk about you to all kinds of leaders and uh, share your material and insight and wisdom as often as i can so thank you thank
0: You're you You're very welcome and thank you too it's been a long j- mutual journey and uh, we're going to get into quite a bit of that during our chat together i know and the folks are going to really really enjoy it uh, now we've got a specific um, group of people who actually know you better uh, on my podcast you know who still know you better than they know me because they found me through you because I've been ah, there you go. <laughs> You've been kind of to me on your podcast and a number of times, and every time I appear on your podcast, the subscriptions and my list go through the roof. So we have a huge number of people know Kerry, know what Kerry Newhoff does, and know you very well. Hold you an exceptional esteem. We'll find out why just shortly. And then we have a group of folks who know of you, but haven't really got to know you that well. And then we have a bunch of people for, who are hearing from you for the first time. So I'd love to start, Kerry, by t- just you sharing a little bit about your own path to where you are now, what you're doing now, and tell us a little bit about what the last couple of months have been like for you.
1: Well, I'll try to give you the 60 second version as opposed to the 60 minute version. But
0: yeah, it was a really
1: unusual career path. So it took me down a lot of places. Uh, uh, When I was eight, I decided I want to be a lawyer, but on the way to law school, I did a degree in history. But even before that, when I was 16, walked into the local radio station, uh, asked them if they were hiring, asked them for a job and they put me on the air. So I did radio for about eight years, eventually made it to law school. Uh, graduated law school, worked for a year in downtown Toronto in law, um, but in that process felt a call into ministry. So I'm a person of faith, I'm a Christian, uh, was going to be a Christian lawyer, if that's even possible, Les, you can tell me if that's possible, but uh, did meet my wife in, in law school who is a lawyer. And uh, anyway, um, finished the bar admission course, got called to the bar, went into seminary, thought I did not have the gifts for ministry and thought, oh, we'll test it out on like three little churches that we had heard about north of Toronto. So we came up here, they were really small, six, 14 and 23 was the average attendance. And 25 years later, we're still here. So serving the same people in the same church, but the journey has taken a lot of twists and turns. We sold those original three buildings, built a new building, then uh, exited denomination, started over again about 12 years ago as Connexus Church. Uh, We're double portable, built the broadcast location. I handed over leadership to my successor Jeff Brody, who some of your listeners will know, I was about five years ago as part of a, a planned transition. And uh, actually, I don't know when this will air, but the end of 2020 is my last uh, time on staff at Canexus too. So I'll be oh, fully wow. exited. Oh, wow. And as a hobby, started to really get interested in like writing books, speaking where you know we met on the on the speaking tour as well, and um, podcasting and uh, basically spend most of my time building into leaders right now. Um, faith leaders, not-for-profit leaders, business leaders, trying to help them with leadership uh, advice. And like you, you know, the whole world pivoted in March of 2020. So I went from spending, I think I flew 150,000 miles last year to different countries and all over the US speaking. And then, you know, that kind of dried up. I don't know about for you, but it was pretty fast overnight in March right, for almost, me. Uh, so I went from like a full dance card to like sitting in the corner alone. But we pivoted to 100% <laughs> digital company and uh, have been there, uh, well, for about five months now. And frankly, I'm loving it. So right. that's the, uh, well, it wasn't 60 second, but maybe 20
0: second version. That was a pretty good sum of carry. And uh, it's, we'll get back into the, impact of the last few months in a little while because it's been a fascinating time and you and I have been together a lot virtually during that time so I'd love to share I'd love to have you share a few of the insights that you've got from there but I want to go back to something that we talked about which is the leadership transition that you had Um, you know for our listeners that one of the things that I'd like them to know is that um, and I've said this to you before privately you're one of the very few people literally a handful maybe three four people that I can think of Who, in the sphere that you operate in, which historically has been within the church environment, um, whenever I meet other people, you're a first name exchange E, by which I mean somebody says, Oh, you must know Carrie. Or I'll say, Oh, that means you must know Carrie. And everybody knows who you're talking about. Nobody has to say, (laughs) Carrie, you off, which is just as well because you can't spell it. Nobody Uh, can spell it anyway. You've got got way too many vowels (laughs) in there. It's even worse than mine. (laughs) <laughs> you've got that position uh, of authority and you've built that in the communications work let me call it that that we'll talk about shortly but you you as you said you started by building churches and you built Conexus and as you say mm-hmm. many of the folks uh, will know of Conexus through Jeff Roli, who was one of our featured speakers last year at Skelcon and uh, uh, we had a great interview with him beforehand as well But you did something that I know the story well, because I've heard it from both sides, that most leaders for profit and not for profit just suck at, which is you made a really good exit. And for some people, that's an oxymoron, you know, I'm never going to leave. And why should I leave? Share a little bit about, first of all, why you thought it was necessary. And secondly, how did it turn out so successful? I mean, Jeff speaks so highly of it. The church members speak highly of it. As you say, you're about to step away completely. So what prompted you to do it? Most people wouldn't leave when they were at the peak as you were. And secondly, why was it so successful?
1: I guess, you know, you don't always understand your motivations in the moment. But the way you ask the question, the first thing that pops into my mind is around the time that I went into radio. So my parents, who are both immigrants to Canada from Holland, uh, started a business together, a tool and mold shop, tool and dye shop. So some of your listeners may know that industry very well. I think
0: you know it a little bit too. But anyway, I, did. I, I owned a, t- I one the last I'd, tool and dye businesses in Europe. I think I owned.
1: I thought you did. I thought you owned one. So you yeah. know it well. And uh, I worked in the shop. You know, I was in charge of toilets and um, driving the trucks. So I was a 16-year-old kid. You know, wow, I got to drive the pickup truck. That was fun. And uh, do deliveries for my dad, and my dad had just started. But he pulled me aside and he said, "Carrie, I would love for you to run the company one day," which I think is everybody's, you know, dream. Now, you know, I wasn't the best teenage son, and I just said to him, apparently according to my mother, this is an exact quote, "Dad, that is the last thing I want to do with my life." So (laughs) (laughs) after piercing his heart, it's like. I feel bad about that. But I knew something at 15 or 16 when he asked me that question. I'm not good at math. Like, I'm just not good at math. And I watched even in that, the company became much bigger, but it was a little startup. But, you know, I watched what the guys were doing, the journeymen in the shop. And, you know, I'm like, I'm not good at this. I can't do X, Y axes. And, you know, you're, you're measuring, right. as you know, to a thousandth of an inch. And I'm sure. like, I thought a foot was close enough. But when you're making <laughs> precision taillights... For General Motors, you better not blow it. And I said, Dad, I know I could run the office, but I can't figure out the shop. And I said, if you move me to the office, the guys in the shop would never respect me and I could never run the company. And I I don't know how I knew that at 16, but that was my suspicion. And then I watched my parents for 25, 30 years in business, and they were were very successful. Um, They're retired. They're both alive. We have a great relationship. But one of the things they really struggled with was succession. And, you know, it wasn't an option for me. I was in the law and then in the ministry and no real successor came down. So what they did is what happens to 96% of all businesses. The company died with the founder and, um, you know, they, they had a really good sell off. They, they did very well at it. All their employees got other jobs, but they just wound down the business when it was time to go. And if you look at it, that's what happens with a lot of successful churches. So all of a sudden I'm in the church world And I'd had a couple of decades in the lead pastor seat, which is really the CEO, the senior leader seat in church world for business leaders. So I was kind of in charge and I just watched churches go through this life cycle. First of all, churches that were started by their founder, that would kind of, die without their founder, or it was never as good as when, you know, Les was pastor, or Carrie was pastor. So I watched that. But then you could look at even the history of historic congregations that have been around for 50, 100 years, and people would talk about the good old days. And they would say, oh, in the 70s, when so-and-so was here, in the 90s, when so-and-so was here, we had a good pastor. We had a good minister. And the church might grow to 500, 1,000, and then it's right back down to 182, right? Or 82, mm-hmm. or whatever the number mm-hmm. happens to mm-hmm. be. And I, I realized because we were blessed. We, even, in, you know, the churches were so small, but we were dozens and then hundreds. And then uh, by the time I handed it off to Jeff, we had broken 1,000. And I realized this is really special. Like this does not, I know that, that happens in the U.S. all the time. And if you're listening in Dallas, you have 10 churches of a thousand right around the corner from you right now. But in Canada, according to Warren Bird, we have less than 100, I think 150 churches of over a thousand people in the hmm. entire nation. Wow. And in our denomination at the time, it never happened. And so I thought, this is really special. I can't mess this up. And this is bigger than me. And then I would seen succession done so poorly. I had seen you know, I'd seen leaders go, well, I told you so, or, or they were almost, and listen, I feel all these emotions. So I'm not, I'm not claiming superiority, but you know, sometimes here I am five years out of the lead seat. And I, I swear this is true. Jeff and I've talked about it. I've never yet had one person say it was better when you led. it. Or or I wish I wish you were still leading it. Like nobody said it. On the one point, your ego's crushed, right? You're like, what, does anybody remember me? What am I? Like, are you kidding? On the other hand, you're like, success. Like that's yeah, what is supposed yes, to happen, yes. right? Like,
0: that's right? Like
1: your, your, your eight-year-old's dependent on you. But if your 38-year-old is going, "Uh, Dad, I need some money to get me through to the weekend, there's an issue there. I think a lot of us who start things and a lot of us who even maybe we didn't start it, but we got really successful, there's an ego play there. And so, you know, as you've you've said, quality team-based decisions, I had to build a team that was gonna outlive me. And because I really believe in the mission of the church, I, I, I want our church to be around 30 years from now in whatever form it's going to be in but you know Jeff and I have talked about well great now you're in the role he's only been in 5 years but like who's 20 years younger than you who's 15 years younger than you we're in a series of conversations right now where we're exactly trying to answer that question and he's not on his way out the door but you know if you don't have that bench if you don't have succession and I'll close the the rant on this because it's really close to my heart I've seen so many so many leaders get it wrong and what God has done in our midst was so special. I'm like, I can't screw this up. I can't screw this up. Plus I knew, and you, you've, you've talked about this lesson in your books, but like I was just, I'd done it for 20 years and I was getting tired of the things mm. that should energize me. I was mm. getting tired of meetings. I was like, so what's next? More. I didn't have a clear vision of the future. And I went, uh Oh, that smells like death a decade right. from now. I, I, can't, I can't be leading this. You got to have white hot passion and vision. I think it was a call shift in my own life I didn't realize mm-hmm. at the time. And the church was strong. It was the biggest it had ever been. We had the most money in the bank we'd ever had. We were growing double digits the year I handed it off. And normally what happens in that cycle is a leader goes, oh, I've got it. And then, you know, they kind of plateau and then you move into treadmill and then into decline. Right. And right. then it's like, okay, here, you take that. Well, it's like watching Brett Favre play, right? It's like two seasons too long, man. Like you should have gone when you were on top. And I didn't want to go when I was on top. I wanted to go when the church was on top so that he had, because I know normally what happens is a successor takes a hit for a couple of years. It's like maybe the finances drop. That didn't happen in in Jeff's case. The church has grown every year since he's, you know, it's bigger and better than when I let it. But I just thought he needs some slack just in case something happens. And I think something like, 95% of all businesses, or it's in the 90s, die with their founder. And um, the real question for me was you know, not just can the church run without you, or it was can the church grow without you? So the real test of succession is can your successor not just run it? Can your successor grow it? And the answer is yes, he's done an amazing job. So I get to sit in the corner and cheer and, you know, help and encourage and support.
0: And I wanted to ask specifically about that. Uh, when we had Jeff uh, uh, on the podcast, I asked him to talk about the success of that handover. One of the things that he gave you credit for was getting out of the way, not you know being available, but not messing with stuff. And a lot of people who attempt a transition or succession, that's where they fall down. How hard did you find that? To just, you know, it not. was
1: really weird. For, first of all, yes, I would say this has gone incredibly well. But, like, to look at the internal battle, um, there are like Jeff's running things in a way that I would normally run them. In which case, in many cases, I'm like, wow, that's way better. But every once in a while, I'm like, oh, what about this? And then one of two things happens either I say nothing, and the further I get away from the succession, the more important it is for me to shut my mouth. Talk to my wife, say a prayer, walk away, go for a run, go for a ride, just shut up. That's really, because I've seen so many um, founders just nitpick their successors, even to the point until they leave. And it's just, it's disastrous. So we, we made a commitment that I would never speak ill of him publicly or privately to another person. Right. Now, you know, spouses accepted, right? right. Okay, if right. he's got a vent to Leslie and he made the reciprocal covenant, he's not like, oh, well, now that I've got it, man, when Carrie ran the church, whew, what a disaster, <laughs> right. which you've heard right. a thousand times too. So we made that commitment. And then privately, um, once in a while, I'll see something. So if I'm not going to be quiet about it, and I think it could be helpful, uh, I usually wait for him to ask me questions. And sometimes Jeff asks me questions at the beginning, he asks me a million. Sometimes he doesn't. Like, uh-huh. And then I'll say, hey, do I have permission to offer feedback? And I'll just ask him, do I have permission? He's never uh-huh. said no. He has permission to say no. And I'll say, hey, and sometimes it's really small. Like, did you see the scratch on the wall? like when you walk in by the foyer, because stuff like that really bothers me. It's like, oh, I'll get that repainted or we'll get that repainted or it's not a big deal or whatever. Or sometimes I just need permission to get it off my chest. And then it's up to him. He does with it what he wants and then the wow. issue's dead and buried. So
0: and that, so the, that's what we do. The um, way in which that was handled then allowed you to turn your focus to Karen Newhoff Communications the business that you then run tell the folks a little bit about what that is what it does you know what's your footprint where do you show up and what do you do when you show up
1: you mean in the company or at the church
0: now in the company oh in the company yeah
1: by the the way that is a really good succession tip from the limited study i've done on succession two reasons it doesn't go well one financially i need the money so i'm going to keep meddling or please invent a job for me um and i i didn't I, i needed you know I, I'm. have still been the teaching guy up until this year, um, but you know my salary is a fraction of what it used to be, which is which is fine. But the other thing, honestly, less is all your best days are behind you, and you know I left when I was 50. I'm 55 now, so when I when I was 50 and I stepped out. I'm like, boy, there's a lot of life on the other side of 50, right? right. And so if, if, if the biggest thing, you become almost like the, the homeowners association where you just complain about everything because you got nothing to do all day. <laughs> and so you just make city council's life miserable. Right. And that's what a lot of guys do. It's like, I'm just going to go back and meddle because I got nothing else to do. So, you know, I do a number of things. I do a leadership podcast. I actually host two podcasts now. Uh, I offer courses to leaders. So we got a half dozen courses out on the market by the time this airs. Uh, I used to speak and travel a lot. That's been, uh, we pivoted to hundred percent digital in light of COVID. Uh, and now my team's grown and it used to be me and an assistant, but now I've got a staff of six that I lead. And um, basically we exist to help um, people thrive in life and leadership. And we produce resources that can help people do that. Um, I still blog. We get like a lot of traffic. I think, these days, the content that I produce gets accessed about a million and a half times a month. So it's got like a global impact, mostly American. Right. But that's the blog, the podcast, and emails that are actually read. I sent a daily email to, to people, just a little leadership nugget every day. And, um, and so that keeps me busy. So I'm not like, I, I don't want to say, I don't have time to go and meddle. But when right. you have a focus and a positive future, and that doesn't have to be another job, uh, this actually got way bigger than I thought it would. Like I thought, oh, maybe I'll do a bit of speaking in this. Okay. Right. Well, now what do I do? <laughs> it's like, I <laughs> guess it's going to be, it's going to keep me pretty busy. So it's, it's got me uh, pretty busy and I'm, I'm loving it. I feel like, you know, in the same way, you know, I think I, I felt called if I want to interpret this theologically called to go to law school to um meet my wife that's the best thing that came out of law school and then really two decades of ministry was fantastic but i feel like this calling to help leaders and equip leaders is sort of the next season of my life and between books the blog podcast courses speaking if it comes back that that that's going to keep me sprinting for a little while and i'm i'm loving it i'm loving it every bit as much as i did my brief time in law or uh, that first decade and a half of ministry
0: And that, you know, that sense of excitement and fulfillment that you have comes across a lot in all that you do. And for anybody, whether you're in the for-profit church faith-based world or not, uh, I can thoroughly recommend all of uh, Kerry's materials. He does something which I believe to be 100% true, which is he talks truth, and therefore the the truth that he speaks is translatable into any environment. But you've been specifically focused on the church world, and um, I remarked to you just as we were getting into the... Uh, preamble here to to our discussion that I've been particularly struck by the directness of what you've been sharing on your blog into the church world to church leaders in the last four to six weeks in terms of, as it seems to me, if I might paraphrase on your behalf, forgive me, just trying to give many church leaders a wake-up call about the reality of not just what's been going on and is going on now because of COVID, but the potential impacts of that down the road. Um, and I, I want to segue in your course into the wider leadership con- uh, impact of uh, COVID, as you see it, but just into the church world, Kerry. Summarize, if you can, just you know the top four or five things that you've seen that you're fearful that some church leaders are just either in denial or they're not getting it.
1: I think there's a pile of denial going on right now. And I hope I'm wrong. So I think I would start with this question. Is this an interruption or a disruption? And I mean, we're recording this in August of 2020, if you want to timestamp it. And I think a lot of people thought, oh, we'll be back to normal. Summer's going to take the virus away. The fall will be normal. It's not normal in the least. And You know, a lot of my friends who do what I do, who are speaking, I was talking to one yesterday. He's like, yeah, we're probably not in planes until summer of 2021. Now people are starting to talk about 2022. And you can look at that. You can say, okay, so it's probably a disruption rather than an interruption because uh, crisis is an accelerator. Um, But I also think that there's a temptation to call this a medical crisis. And it is a medical crisis. People are dying, people are infected, millions, you know, hundreds of thousands dead, et cetera. It's a medical crisis. But I also think it's a cultural crisis. And if you look at church attendance patterns uh, from the Barna Group uh, over the last 20 years, it is pretty easy. It's down and to the left in every right. age demographic. And what's happened is we haven't had access to our buildings in churches that are reopening in the same way restaurants and other businesses that are reopening are discovering. Right. We used to base the whole model on like packing the room out or getting as many people as we can in. And first of all, right now, that's not possible. And number two, um, even if it is possible, let's assume there's a vaccine minutes from now. Everybody's fine. Coronavirus is gone. I think the shift is so deep because we have been moving to a digital economy anyway and a digital reality anyway. Um, And we've all adapted that people are going to say you know what church went from five hours on a sunday or three hours on a sunday to 42 minutes right. that is a really hard switch to flip back and right. you know in the restaurant business i've been thinking about it we had an opportunity to eat indoors based on our zoning i'm like i don't know whether i'm comfortable with that which right. is really interesting because i'm a daredevil and a risk taker uh-huh. and you know am i going to do uh takeout more often probably Am I getting it at home more often? I think there are some real cultural shifts. I read uh, recently, I don't know if this is Toronto or New York, but 20% of all office space or uh, retail space is now vacant. Mm -hmm. Like I think some, and every CEO I know, you know more of them, but they're all talking about downsizing the footprint of their offices and moving to more Zoom and, you know, business travelers like myself saying, I'm going to cut that way back because if I can do a Google Meet or a, a Zoom call, I'll do that. And so I think those are permanent shifts. And what I see a lot of leaders doing is everyone's trying to get back to normal. I'm like, guys, normal died. It's dead. Like I don't. and, And so I feel like I'm out there kind of banging the normal is dead drum. And I get beat up online for it every day. We got this ad running for one of my courses. It's like, are you ready for the new normal and for season there every day? Somebody would be like, there is no such thing as a new normal. Normal normal is not gone. And it's like, look, I know you want to believe that, but like, what if that's true? Right? It's just, Uh it's hard. And we think we can control these things and we really can't.
0: And we'll be right back with Kerry Newhoff. In just a moment, you'll hear more from Kerry, including the challenges that COVID has brought in growing his own business. His best advice for leaders in these confusing times, both in the for-profit and not-for-profit worlds, and a great training resource he's gifting to you for free. Now, if like Carrie and me, you're an M.S.E. that's the most senior executive, whether you're the founder or CEO or managing director or lead pastor or madam secretary, whatever the title of the most senior person in your organization, if that's you, then you know one thing for sure. It can be really, really lonely up here. Sure, being the MSE is a great privilege and it brings with it great responsibility, but it brings great challenges too. And sometimes we just don't have the right forum to go to and share those challenges, at least not in a way in which we feel comfortable and supported, challenged and held accountable. Now I'm sure you've got a great team in your organization, a fantastic senior leadership team who support you, but there are times when you're just not ready to share with your senior team just yet. There are other times when you want to talk with people who've got a different perspective other than from the inside of your organization. Sometimes you just don't want to distract your senior leadership team because of some of the other things that you've got going on. Now I know that you've almost certainly built a great support group of friends and family, but let's be honest, I know this and I know you do too, there are many times when you're grappling with a particular challenge, a growth challenge either around your own leadership or the growth of your organization. And you just don't want to burden your friends or your family. And many times, even when you do, they often can't really help you. And that means they're left feeling frustrated and you're left feeling unfulfilled. Not precisely because of that challenge, the challenge of it being lonely at the top. And yet we face big challenges of our own to meet as leaders that we can all benefit from working with an executive coach. Someone who provides perspective, objectivity, accountability, experience, and empathy. Kerry Newhoff, our guest interviewee today, is just one of the literally hundreds of growth leaders just like you who I've had the privilege to coach. Perhaps a coaching relationship might be exactly what you need for the support, accountability, and encouragement you're looking for in these incredibly difficult times. So why not go take a look, make your own mind up, head over to predictablesuccess.com forward slash coach and check it out. And now back to our guest today, Kerry Newhoff.
1: And so yeah. I think we're at risk less of, you know, being the CD salesperson in the age of Spotify or the right. mall owner in uh, the age of blockbuster, Amazon. Blockbuster, retailer. Right. Blockbuster in the age of Netflix and Hulu right. and Disney+. Plus. Like I just, right. I think it shifted. And, you know, it's very possible, like, you know, even even for my company, um, we tend to operate on margin. And so I got to tell my team, like, we're, we're safe. Uh, we got a few months here in the bank, right. so nobody's getting laid off. And then we said, what do we do? And we just pivoted to free. We just we could a free course uh, lead through Christ. By the way, we'll, we'll give that to your listeners if they want. It's still free. And, um, we've served over 10,000 leaders through that crisis leadership course. And then we introduced a very low cost product that could help people. We're just like, we're just here to serve. Like you can pivot and you've got to imagine new things. And so my future looks radically different than I thought it would. And that's okay. And I think, I think if you don't pivot, if you don't pivot, if you, you know, irrelevance, the way I define relevance is irrelevance is the gap between how quickly things change and how quickly you change. And if things are changing faster than you are, you become irrelevant. So you look at most organizations, most businesses, um, they're not pivoting particularly well. And all the stuff that we called innovation in March, April, May wasn't really innovation. It was adaptation. It's like, The restaurants closed. The churches closed. The stores closed. The businesses closed. The meetings are via Zoom. That that wasn't innovation. It was like, how do we salvage this thing? And so we got it. The innovation triage. hasn't started yet. It was triage. It was stop the bleeding, right? right? And and so now you know if we're going into a long winter economically, I don't know where it's going to go. But you know you've got to keep pivoting and innovating. And I think the innovation has just started. And I was I was reminding myself of that the other day because we have a new course coming on board so i have a freemium model 99 percent of what i do is absolutely free and the one percent that is charged for pays for everything else a lot of online businesses use that right. that model and we see ourselves as a ministry as well as a business just to help people but um i gotta tell you like i'm like don't just fall into the course rut like start right. looking at other okay. things so we're looking right. at um, a number of other options that we're exploring for 2020 and 2021 and beyond
0: um, and I don't, I don't know. Fun. I don't know about you, Carrie, but I, I always try to remind myself that it's very easy to be insightful about other people's businesses and industries <laughs> and just eating your own dog food in that regard is a challenge sometimes. Cause I, oh. I agree a hundred percent with you. I think the degree of behavioral change that has is now baked in means that there is no going back. And interestingly, uh, Jason Mitchell, who's one of the senior partners and uh, senior pastors in LCBC, one of the largest churches yeah. in Pennsylvania, great church, down here. Uh, super church, and uh, he's in our Mastermind Group, uh, a predictable success. And he was sharing with the rest of the Mastermind Group members that, that he has just banned people from saying, we're, uh, talking about going back to anything. And his <laughs> yeah. stance is, you know, we are not a ch- a ch- an online church that may at some point in the future have face-to-face building-centric um, activities. But we're not going back to being a building-centric church that happens to have online. That's not going to be the case ever again. I, think
1: that's... I agree. I got a post I haven't written yet. It's like five things pastors are addicted to. And number one on the list is our buildings. And I realize right. that. That's how I led. Like, right. you know, it was like, wow, well, you got to come here. And that is like a cable TV approach. Like right. you and I are both old enough to remember if you want to watch Seinfeld or Friends or, you know, pick your poison, and even the office in the early days, it's like, well, you better be there Thursday night at nine or right. you're going to miss it. Right. 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 And now like that's irrelevant. You tell a 17 year old that it's like, what, what do you mean you can't watch when you want? Like you have to be there at a certain hour and church keeps operating that way. You know, we were renovating our house a couple of years ago. And, uh, I remember it was just one of those moments and the contractor said, Hey, the tap we're installing is broken. Can you go to Toronto, which is about an hour away and pick it up? Like, I'm like, okay. And traffic was bad. And I just remember looking at Google maps and it said, we're going to close at six. And the thought that hit me is like, what do you mean? You're not open 24 hours a day, (laughs) which is stupid. Of course it's a physical business. It's a warehouse I'm going to, to get this, you know, faucet or whatever it was. But I'm like, yeah, in my mind, we were 24 hour a day people and I was going to a retail location. So it's just, it's such a mindset shift. And the, and the other thing that's challenging, particularly, and, and I love the people at LCBC. I've spoken there a couple of times at different conferences. And so this is not a reflection of them. But you know, when you're, when you're successful, success makes you conservative. Success right. is, oh, I know how to do this. So I'm not going to change it because I don't want to mess it up. And Just so, repeat. you know, some people were very successful in the old economy. Some people, yeah. and I think the people who were best at the way things were are the most motivated to bring them back to that place, even Correct. if it doesn't success. But then you Correct. become, even if it doesn't succeed, because then you become the buggy whip salesperson in the era of the automobile. It's like, probably don't have much of a future. Nice little niche. Enjoy it. Right. But you're you're the tech industry suing the city in the age of lift. Like that's what you become. And so, yeah, I just, I see that. And, and I'm, I'm shocked to be honest with you about how prevalent that attitude appears to be in the church community. Businesses, all the CEOs I know, they pivoted overnight in May. They were like, how do we get out of this lease? How do we, how do we, how do we downsize? How do we pivot to this? How do we, how do we do business differently? And church leaders are like, let's just go back. Let's just go back. And I'm like, guys, you can't go back. And if you do like, go ahead. But I think you're going to get 30 to 50% of what you used to get. And is right. that a, and, and if you have the most important mission in the world, which I think the church does, is that good enough? To me, it's not good enough.
0: Well, you know, it, it's a hundred percent in agreement with everything you've said. And I would add that a lot of businesses have done the same thing They've essentially, uh, you know, nobody could blame anybody for this, that, you know, come March 13th in the US time frame. Um, it was just triage, triage, triage for probably six weeks. Just dirty fingernail, you know. Oh help! You know the munch scream is just ah. What next? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but then, uh, in the middle of that, and and for the next period of time, a lot of for profits and not for profits, they did pivot in the sense that they went to where the ball had moved to. So it's like watching six-year-olds play soccer. It's flock ball, mm-hmm. right? And people realize, okay, the ball has moved, so I'm going to pivot to where the ball has moved. That makes sense, sort of, in the short term as part of triage. But I think the point you're making, uh, the way I've been expressing it to folks, is if all you've done is pivot, then that's not a long term solution because you're going to have to pivot again mm-hmm. and again because the ball's going to keep moving. And I'm so reminded by somebody that, with your Canadian background, you'll remember a lot better than most people Bobby Orr, a great ice oh, yeah. hockey player. Uh, He said said frequently, he said, when I asked the secret of success, it's very simple. I skated to where the puck was going to be. Mm -hmm. And that's innovation, right? That's not pivoting. That's innovation. And what we're talking about are those churches and for-profit leaders who have got the vision to skate to where the puck is going to be, not pivot to where the ball is now, I to mix our metaphors a lot.
1: No, that's so accurate. And that's hard to know, but you know, I'm betting a few big things. Number one, life's gonna be way more digital. And uh, there's also evidence, I mean, Stanford's done a study and then in real time, like big organizations internationally like Alpha are offering online. And they're discovering that relationships can't fully exist online, but they can be supplemented way more than anybody thought online. And sometimes people are more truthful online than they are in person, which is like right. really right. interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, they, you know, I'm betting online is a big part of the future. Um, in the same way, there was a big pivot in the 90s and early 2000s in evangelical churches from Sunday school. So you know, if you grew up in an old fashioned church, Sunday school wasn't just for kids, it was for grown-ups. And okay. you would end up going to um, you know, church in the morning, you do a Sunday school class where they taught you a book of the Bible and then you go to worship. So it was like right. a morning deal. And then the last generation boomers came along and they said, well, why don't we just go to small groups and then we don't have to keep building square footage because we can leverage your home and my home and all these homes and, you know, small group scales. Because if you've got 10 or fewer people meeting in your living room or back porch, um, you can do tens of those without spending a dollar. So that kind of right. works, but we never got, over it for the big events. And I think what this is, what we're now starting to see, like LCBC and other churches, Levi Lesko's uh, Fresh Church, Brendan Ingersoll, King's Church in Eastern Canada are saying, and uh, J.D. Greer has talked about this at his church. How do we actually become a church of home groups? Like basically the church meets in homes, the church meets in regional centers, and we are there to support you. If you ever go to right. Chick-fil-A's headquarters, which I've been, they don't call it headquarters. They call it, I think, the support center. Right. And they, it's massive. But they say, no, we are not the be-all and the end-all. Like, this is not HQ. We are here to serve the owner-operators right. that are distributed all over the U.S. and increasingly around the world. And so they see themselves as a support. And I think, okay, that's a great model for church. Like, if I was still in the leader's seat, I'd be like, what can we do to leverage small gatherings? And when we – the last thing I did as a leader at Kinexis, when I was still lead pastor – Was finish up our our broadcast location, and you know it was ten years of like zoning, and you know how that goes in cities. And so we ended up for a couple million dollars, which is basically what we could reasonably um, spend at the time. Ended up with twenty six thousand square feet. wasn't big enough in my view, but like you gotta you gotta live in the real world, not in some fake world. And so it's only three hundred and fifty seats. So we're now a church of fifteen hundred people, and our biggest auditorium is three hundred and fifty seats. But you turn them a few locations, etc. then, you know, you can figure that out. But as I toured people through the facility, so this is five years ago, I, I used to joke with them. I said, we built a broadcast studio with a church attached because we really invested in cameras, staging, lighting. Right. So if you see us online, you'd think, well, what is that a 2000 seat auditorium? It's like, Nope, it's 350 seats. But I knew even in 2015 that the vast majority of people who would come into contact with our message would see it through the lens of a camera and so we built that with that in mind well you know fast forward to 2020 and all of a sudden it's like thank goodness we have this broadcast studio and we've been online for four years but suddenly when that's the only thing and i think that's a model for the future you ever been to like a taping of fallon or the tonight show or that
0: kind of thing Uh, uh, they're really
1: small audiences
0: that's right it's uh striking when you go in
1: Yeah, it's like, wow, how many people are here? 200? Like, it's really small. I I haven't seen Fallon. I saw Leno just before he retired in LA. And, uh, you know, we went in for the Tonight Show taping. It's like, this is pretty small. But there are millions of people watching, you know, on TV or on now online. And I just think that's probably the future. And will that, you know, in person might might be more dispersed too. So it is about relationships. But I think that's all going to morph. And the churches that get on it now are going to have, and the businesses that get on it now who are saying, you know, maybe takeout is going to be 70% of what we do. Let's just assume it is. Like I had to pivot. So my company, when I had literally a year of speaking just wiped out overnight and everything with it, I just said to the team on the Monday after the Friday before when the world shut down, I'm like, we're a 100% digital company starting right now. Now, I thought speaking would come back in the summer. Wrong. I thought, well, it'll be back in the fall. Wrong. Now I think maybe next year at some point, maybe wrong. doesn't matter. We're a hundred percent digital company. So we, I can never get on an airplane again and we're just fine. We get to right. do, because our mission isn't to get on airplanes. Our mission is to help people thrive in leadership. And, and so you, in life and leadership. So you got to just help people do that. Well, I can do that from my office. I can, I can do that with a microphone. I can do that with a keyboard. I can do that with books and uh, we can do virtual events. So, you know, that's what we're going to do indefinitely until the world changes and the physical opens up. And if it's um, smart, to do it strategically, then guess what? I'll jump on an airplane again. But until then, I'm not waiting for that day.
0: Uh, that's been uh, uh, the that last piece that you shared. It's a great uh, opportunity to segue into something I'd love to um, give the listeners a little bit more of an insight into, which is just to have you share a little bit. You know, you you you, you teach leadership in a specific environment, the church world. Now you're running a for-profit business. I mean, it may be based mm-hmm. within the church environment, but it's a for-profit business, like just about two thirds of the folks that are listening. What have you learned about yourself as a leader in that phase, this phase of your life? What, what, what have been the biggest challenges for you? So you had the law world, and that was all about you know finding your spouse, and then you had the church pastor period. Running a business, what, where have you found yourself going, ah, I really need to step up here, I'm, I'm behind the pace.
1: That's interesting, you know, Les, because uh, first of all, just clarify for the church listeners, it's like, what do you mean it's a for-profit? Because normally the path is everybody starts a not-for-profit when you're not working for the church. The only difference in my mind between um, a for-profit and a not-for-profit is for-profits pay taxes. And I've seen so many, just like I saw so many leaders screw up succession, I've seen so many faith people get into trouble with their not-for-profits because you shouldn't have done this. I'm like, I'm just going to pay my taxes. And treat it like a ministry, but I'll just pay taxes. So I just pay taxes. That's it. So uh, that's, that's why. But our first value is serve first. Uh, am I seeing our work as a ministry and a business? That's value number one in the company. Because it is a business. Like if, at the end of the day, if I can't meet payroll, everybody goes home. It's over. Right? But that's true in the church too. So actually, surprisingly, you know, when I look at my brief time in law and then ministry and now, it's all the same challenges. It's just at a different scale. Um, I'm always the lid. John Maxwell said very famously, if you're the leader, you're the lid. I was a lid at the church. It took us forever to break the thousand barrier, why? Because I couldn't release control. And um, you know, I'm still the lid in my company and your coaching has been really super helpful. So you know, now we're at the point where not everybody's a direct report. Hopefully it's not, You know, the genius part was a joke, but the genius with a thousand helpers where it's one person generating everything. No, we got a team now and we're growing, but I am the lit and my ambivalence as a leader, like, what is this? My vision as a leader, all of those things are still the problem. And then what I'm trying to figure out right now, the church was super simple. It's like, this is not about me. I don't want, you know, I don't want this thing to die with me and I don't want it to decline after me. So that was like, that was a no brainer. But the challenge for me is like, how hard do I want to work at this? Like, you know, because it was just a little hobby that's become like a full-time job. And, and I've reframed it in um, the context of a calling. Right. And if God gives me three more decades till I'm in my eighties, then this is what with his permission, I would love to do. And I just finished, I just I hit a great run of excellent books. I just finished five years after everyone else, Simon Sinek's Leaders Eat Last. And I love his understanding of leadership, very similar if you read the Motive from Patrick Lencioni, that sure. the primary responsibility for leaders is to serve. And so I was, you know, I'm 55, it's like a lot of my friends are like finding beaches and retiring and I'm like, is this what I wanna do? Is this? And Because like running a company is work, right? Like it's work, it means you serve other people, <laughs> and you serve your okay. audience. And so there was a little bit of a soul crisis in that. Like, you know, because, because if you look at, if you look at um, corporate America, and even law, it's like, what's in it for me? Well, I'm not really wired that way, but this is a season of life where you could easily go. Yeah. What's in it for me. But my wife and I, as we prayed about it and we've dealt with it, we're like, we're diving in, we're just going to try to serve people. And, you know, you have to stay profitable. Otherwise you got to close up shop or, you know, you can't do what you do anymore. But lay everybody off but you know we 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 are going to do this for a long while and once i had that resolved and that ambivalence was gone i'm like this this is going to be a fun ride and it is right. a joy and i've had that privilege most of my life is to get up every day and say i get to do this and i feel like most days <laughs> i get to do this and that, that's that's really cool but it's all the same issues scale delegation vision culture. I work really, really, that's probably the biggest change in the last decade is I did not pay attention in the first 10 or 15 years to culture. And then about with five years of church leadership left, I'm like, Oh, I got to really pay attention to this. And I'm working on my personal health, healthy leaders produce healthy teams. So going to counseling, staying prayed up and trying to make this. And I say to my team all the time, I want this and it's not big. It's like six, seven people, eight people, whatever. I'm like, you know what? I just want this to be the best job you've ever had. You don't have to work here forever, but I want you to yeah. love coming to work. So we work really, really hard on culture. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like gravity. It just pulls you down. Like if you're not working on culture, making it better, it naturally drifts toxic. So right. it's, it's having those values high tuned. It's, it's, it's living them out, revisiting them weekly, revisiting the mission and just keeping people motivated because nobody really wants to work for me but maybe they would love to try to help people thrive in life and leadership. And if they want to do that, boy, we could have an exciting future together.
0: Well, it's been, uh, it's been, you know, a fantastic. Uh, sound like I'm about to give you a eulogy, but uh, it's been a fantastic <laughs> journey that you and I have had, you know, we've, we've mm. been blessed to sort of just meet in passing on many occasions. We've met very deliberately on many occasions and I had the unique, as you mentioned a moment ago the unique opportunity to spend six months in detail with you recently just working through a lot of those challenges that you just shared and uh, you know that commitment that you have to to make your place the place that your people want to be Mm. is a north star there's no doubt about it and it, it 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 informs everything that you do and as we've shared, you know, that's going to be challenged as you grow. The more you grow, the more pressures are come to, to dilute that, to compromise, to give parts of it away. And it's been, it's just been marvelous watching you, you know, steal your spine to keep hold of that at all costs.
1: That's been another big superpower of the last decade is I've gotten a lot better at saying no and it's still hard i said no a couple times to friends i'm on book deadline it's like hey because everybody just wants 30 minutes right sure can i have 30 minutes can you do one talk can you do this one thing right. and like i've learned to affirm the person and affirm the relationship and say hey i'd, I'd love to right now but i'm on book deadline or my plate's full or uh, i just can't do it and that allows me to be a better husband be a better dad to be a better boss to be a better leader and if my team's happy and healthy, and if my family's happy and healthy, then chances are the readers, the listeners, the clients, the customers, the leaders we serve will be happy because when they interact with the team, right? Like if you have a, a nasty flight attendant, probably he or she had a bad boss right. or there's a toxic culture. But if you've got happy flight attendants, you've got a happy servers at this restaurant, you've got a motivated chef when you go out to eat. And they're bringing their best. Like, you know that as a, as a client. Right. And right. you knew that in the congregation. Like, that was one of the things people always said. How do, you, how do you do this? We had 700 volunteers, I think. And like, how do you motivate them all? Well, if they're healthy, I promise you the people who go to your church are going to be healthy. But right. that's a lot of work to motivate those volunteers, to get them, um, you know, in that place where they really want to lean in. And so I'm saying no to a lot. And like you, there's opportunities that show up every few hours and yep just like okay i'm going to stay focused i know my lane and this is what i'm called to do uh but that's super super hard
0: well we're blessed that you didn't say no to us thank you for coming along and sharing with the predictable success tribe didn't say
1: no to you les are you kidding me thank you (laughs) so grateful for you
0: my pleasure thank you and i hope you'll come back in a couple of years and tell us what the journey has been like since then
1: Hey, can I make an offer to your uh, listeners while we got that for the free course? So I'm not selling you anything, but if you want to take the crisis leadership course, it's called how to lead through crisis Um, sort of everything I've learned about the tough seasons in life, plus best gleanings from others. It's absolutely free. We've had, I think 11, 12,000 leaders go through it so far. And uh, you can find that, I think probably the text offer still works. So crisis to three three seven seven seven. Crisis to 33777. It's absolutely free, or go to to howtoleadthroughcrisis.com.
0: And we'll put all of those details right below wherever it is that you're hearing this. And I strongly recommend that you go get it. I took it, I learned a lot. And you also get to hear Kerry's cool Canadian accent. (laughs) What's not to like? All right, Kerry, thank you again. And we will talk. Thank you, Les.
1: I'm so grateful for you. (laughs) I'm <laughs>